Are you willing to put aside all speculation and announce to the people here that you are not running in 2020? No. Overall, wages are down. People are working longer hours for less money. Obamacare is illegal immigrants. Uh, African Americans uh, being mistreated in society. Noting that world leaders laughed at President Trump. Trade war. You know what it is? My new slogan. America great. Thanks for joining us for another episode of 2020 Vision. This week, we're joined by Dr. Lavina Lee, a senior lecturer at the Department of Modern History, Politics and International Relations at Macquarie University, and the author of a new research paper titled Democracy Promotion, ANZUS and the Free and Open Indo-Pacific Strategy. Lavina, thanks very much for joining us today. My pleasure. Before we get started and get into the sort of real meaty bits of your research, can you firstly explain for listeners that may not be familiar what the free and open Indo-Pacific strategy is? I think it's best to start with the United States and the United States uh, in its last national security strategy made very clear that it believes that uh, it is in a real contest with authoritarian governments around the world, particularly China and Russia. And the contest is in relation to international order. So between a the US-led liberal democratic order and a authoritarian-led order, um, when it's when we talk about China, we're talking about a authoritarian capitalist model. Right. Now the free and open Indo-Pacific strategy is designed to be a counter to that uh, attempt that the United States sees. Uh, authoritarian countries as uh, undermining their their US-led liberal order. Mm-hmm. And the free and open Indo-Pacific has two aspects, obviously. It's, it's about freedom, freedom in the sense that uh, states in the region should be able to conduct their foreign policy free from coercion. It's also about supporting states in the region who already practice uh, liberal democratic values. Um, It's about openness in the sense of open access to international waters, to um, airspace, um, but also supporting the rules of international order that um, allow for free and open trade. China's been pretty successful so far in countering the West promotion of uh, these sort of liberal democratic ideals in their neck of the woods. What's been so appealing about this alternative model for some of these countries that you've written about in your report? Well, I think what's interesting is that there's been quite a few recent um, public opinion surveys conducted by groups such as Pew. Yep. um, And they've surveyed countries around the world, but also in the Indo-Pacific region. And quite a few of those countries, the populations are supportive of liberal democracy, but also very open to centralised, more authoritarian forms of governance. Wow, okay. So uh, forms of governments like um, military rule, um, rule by technocrats, uh, so unelected officials that have a technical skill, um, but also rule by strong men or strong women. Yep. Um, and I think what this suggests is um, that, say, they look at the China model of authoritarian capitalism and they can see how quickly China has developed relatively to other countries in the region, um, that it, it is obviously very impressive and often 
their own liberal governments, liberal democratic governments, um, governments though that um, are leading states which have quite weak institutions, right. um, weak institutions of accountability, um, often with a lot of corruption involved in it. Uh, I think populations there are really quite frustrated at the pace of economic development. I think economic development is the number one priority for most of them. And they look at the China model and they think, well, maybe that's the answer. You write specifically about democracy promotion as a way of countering uh, the Chinese-led authoritarian model of, of governance in the region. Australia hasn't really put a lot of emphasis on that kind of foreign policy before, has it? No, this this would be a new thing that I'm advocating. Right. Um, what what Australia has done traditionally, and this is a very consistent thing over many many years, um, is that Australia really prioritises poverty reduction through economic development. Now. Ideas about governance come into it insofar as they affect poverty reduction and economic development. So Australia doesn't specifically advocate liberal democracy or support liberal democracy as such, but they will support mechanisms which, uh, I guess, develop the rule of law, um, good governance and accountability, but they don't label it in any way democracy promotion. I think that's um, a... A historical priority, that is, the priority is poverty reduction and liberal democracy is like a means to an end. Um, But it's also that we don't have that same kind of tradition in our own domestic policy, politics, I should say, to advocate liberal democracy specifically. Unlike somewhere like the US, for example. That's right. Yeah. Which has a very long tradition of democracy promotion. Yeah. There's been plenty of historical criticism of the United States attempting to to meddle in the affairs of other countries. Do you think many Southeast Asian nations uh, will want to listen to to their promotion of civil society and accountable government in the region given that history and that criticism? That's um, an obvious criticism. So when we look specifically at the the Bush administration and its um, regime change in Afghanistan and Iraq, I think that has given the whole concept of democracy promotion a really bad name. Um, I think we should distinguish, though, those cases as uh, efforts to change a regime and install democracy in countries that had no pre-existing experience of either liberalism or democracy. And I think it's fair enough to to look at those examples and say, well, that type of thing is fraught um, with problems. And if you're going to do it, it's not going to be easy and it might never succeed. Um, Now, what I think um, I'm talking about in my paper and I think what is encompassed potentially in the free and open Indo-Pacific strategy is is not regime change. So uh, I'm not advocating in any shape or form that Australia and the United States go around um, changing regimes. (laughs) Yeah, fair enough. Um, But what what I am suggesting is that democracy promotion should be a key part of this strategy and there are many elements of statecraft by which you can promote democracy short of using force. Yeah. So this would be things like um, helping states to monitor elections to ensure that they're free and fair, um, foreign aid programs that provide support for civil society, support for existing free press, um, helping civil society to to develop in the population, um, I guess, a, a stronger commitment to liberal values, uh, things really quite 
boring and mundane things like technical assistance to governments to ensure that they actually can improve their decision-making processes to guard against corruption, for example, Um, things like legal and judicial training. And I think also we should consider things like attaching conditionality to our aid programs to Uh, I guess, encourage this kind of activity. You look specifically at uh, uh, Indonesia, Thailand and the Philippines as countries that should be high priorities for democracy promotion efforts. Why have you put them at the top of your list? Okay, well, I think um, in general Southeast Asia is really a key battleground when it comes to countering the appeal of China's authoritarian capitalist model um, and also reducing opportunities for Beijing to exploit and exacerbate weak liberal democratic institutions in many countries for their own geopolitical or geostrategic gain. Now, I think I've I've um, focused on these particular countries, the Philippines, Thailand and Indonesia, because I think, one, um, it's probably obvious to say that Australia and the United States have limited resources. Yeah. So you have, to, you have to just, out of pragmatism, choose the countries uh, that you think are the highest priority. And I say that they're the highest priority because one, um, foreign policy is about the art of the possible. Um, All of these states have existing liberal democratic institutions in place. Uh, They might be weak institutions that need assistance to strengthen those those existing institutions. But um, I think we would have greater success in a shorter period of time, focusing on states that are already have an experience um, and have some commitment to liberal democracy and liberal institutions already in place. They already have agents on the ground. When I say agents, I mean uh, those with um, commitments to liberal values, yeah. civil society, free press, uh, labor unions. Um, you have some semblance of separation of powers in, in government already. So you're you're working with something that already exists and you're helping to strengthen it. So I think we'd have greater success doing that. I also think um, that when we go back to that question you just asked me about imposing values and the, the kind of bad press that democracy promotion receives, um, I think when you focus, why, why I'm advocating focusing on these particular three countries is that they are already self-professed liberal democracies. Yeah. So they they say they are, they want to be, and therefore they're more likely to be uh, open and receptive to assistance that other countries might give them. They will partner with them. I'm suggesting that we partner with these countries to help them to strengthen their democracies. And I think, um, thirdly, uh, these three countries are very influential in their own region. Um, they are, uh, I guess, success in these countries might encourage success elsewhere. And I think also that these countries are very important for the free and open Indo-Pacific strategy because if, for example, any one of these countries, two of them are allies of the United States, um, the Philippines and Thailand, um, and another Indonesia is is a very large democracy in our region. If any one of these states were to fall under China's sphere of influence, that would make it all the more harder 
for the Indo-Pacific to be a free and open order. There's been plenty of interest from both sides of politics in the United States in the situation in Hong Kong at the moment. I'm curious what you think the outcome of the situation might have on efforts uh, to support liberal democratic practices in the region. Well, I think in, in the case of Hong Kong, um, it is first, it is a Chinese territory. Yeah. So it's not a sovereign nation that we could focus on for democracy promotion sure. yeah. as such. Um, but I think that the developments in Hong Kong suggest that people in Asia uh, with an experience, a ready experience of strong institutions, they want to preserve those institutions and will go to great lengths to do so. And I think that insight should not be lost on Australian policymakers. Do you think President Trump and, and his administration generally care about democracy promotion in this region, in this you know, sort of era of America first, that they're, they're so quickly to, to sort of pronounce? Um, I think that's a fair question because if you look at the Trump administration, particularly if you just talk, look at the president, yeah, just the White House, just the White House yep. uh, what you would see is that President Trump has almost been undermining some of the democratic institutions in his own country. He speaks very flippantly about the rule of law, for yeah. example. Um, separation of powers is also coming under strain. His foreign policy from the top is also very pragmatic in that he's been um, developing stronger and deeper ties with some authoritarian governments yeah, around the world. Yeah, seems to be a fan of the strongman, right? That's right. Yeah. So, you know, he's very praising even of President Xi, of Vladimir Putin, Kim Jong-un gets some praise. Yep. Um, <laughs> Exchanging letters and, yeah, pleasantries. That's yeah. right, that's yeah. right. Some call it a bromance yeah, in some levels. Right. Um, <laughs> and if you if you look in our region, um, even President Duterte, yes, the, yeah. the, the Thai military government in the yeah. past has, yeah. has come under some, some praise. So all of that is very confusing. So you've got a free and open Indo-Pacific strategy that talks about supporting uh, a free societies in our region, but from the top, from the White House, you're getting a very different message about yeah. pragmatism over principle. But I would say um, that in the in the recent uh, past, so we're talking about um, different arms of this, the American administration, the yep. vice presidency, yep. um, Vice President Pence, um, made a very strong speech at APEC last year. That's right, yeah. And there he was very strongly advocating liberal democracy and he called liberal democracy a bulwark of sovereign independence. So there he was linking the strength of institutions within a country as a really important means by which um, those countries can keep, um, I, I guess, make decisions for the betterment of that country and to insulate themselves from foreign interference. So we might be doing that in Australia, but when we see examples like um, Sri Lanka, uh, we also see Malaysia and the East Rail, um, Rail Infrastructure Project, Hambantota Port in Sri Lanka, both of them are examples of liberal democratic countries with albeit weak institutions, where regimes, corrupt governments have been almost co-opted or enticed to undertake infrastructure projects that are not necessarily in the long-term interests of those countries. Um, they've been uh, projects that the countries actually can't afford. And now there's been talk of this idea of debt trap diplomacy, 
whereby China lends money for yeah. projects that sound great uh, but are really unaffordable and in the, the medium term when those debts can't be repaid, then equity stakes um, or influence over foreign policy is almost exchanged for debt relief. Yeah. So that is where I think um, efforts by countries like Australia and America to help countries strengthen their institutions can actually help populations keep their governments accountable and effectively keep control over sovereign decisions going forward. If you were to concede that President Trump's administration had a long-term effect on allies and partners' belief that they were interested in democracy promotion in the region, Indo-Pacific in particular, do you think it's going to be difficult for the next president, if that were to change in 2020, to convince allies and partners that there is still this American commitment to these particular values that they historically wanted to instill in different parts of the world? Um, I... I guess we have to look in our crystal ball and see what happens. Yeah. Um, I, I'm relatively more confident perhaps than others that I think the, the slow and steady work of um, American democracy promotion, I did speak about the White House, but all of that work is still going on and there's quite a considerable apparatus in America, yep. in, existing institutions that are quietly and determinedly helping countries um, support democracy. Poor old State Department is that's, chipping away. That's <laughs> yeah, right. The yeah. poor old State Department, all yeah. the diplomats yeah. are out there working pretty hard. Yeah. And I guess from our perspective, the same would be true. We don't, we don't, when I say we, Australia doesn't overtly advocate democracy in its foreign policy, but I think um, there should be an, a, a more um, adequate resourcing of these kinds of efforts that help states improve their rule of law, um, their good governance, accountability, civil society, free press, et cetera, because it's actually part of a bigger strategy. It might seem like it's a Cold War legacy project yep. or it's purely humanitarian, which of course it is as well. Good governance will lead to poverty reduction and economic growth for those countries. But in a bigger picture, it's also very important, I think, for the Australian government, the policy community, to realise that it's a fundamental part of supporting a free and open Indo-Pacific and it should be, uh, I guess, prioritised more with resources. Levina, thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you. If you'd like to read Levina Lee's report, it's available on the United States Study Centre website, ussc.edu.au. Thanks this week to Ketzer and the Babamara Brass Band for their musical contributions and to the University of Sydney's Faculty of Arts and Social Sciences for their studio assistance. 